sermon. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we think about um, the idea of hospitality, we've been looking this entire month at what does love look like? What does love look like? God commands us to love. That is the means by which we, um, when the lights go out, we still know what we're talking about. That's the means by which we demonstrate. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have what? Love one for another. But what does it look like? What does it look like for, man, I feel like I'm in a rock concert or something in here. The lights are just, where's the smoke and the, the psychedelic? Um, what does it look like in our lives? It looks like seeking justice. It looks like extending hospitality. It looks like giving generously. But it cannot stop there. You know, in, in books and in television and in movies, anytime there's a narrative, anytime there's a story, there's, there's often this, it's almost so common, it's become almost a trope, that there's a, an individual who gets so caught up in maybe their business life. They get so caught up in the, their, their, um, their uh, athletics, or they get so caught up in good things, but they neglect. Maybe it's a businessman who is so caught up in trying to make his business work that he neglects his child, his son. His son's standing there with a baseball glove. Dad, can we play ball? And the dad's, no, I'm too busy. I've got to get this work done. And he neglects what is most important or what is more important for what is just important. It is a tragedy when we, it would be a tragedy if we engaged in all the wonderful things that we can do to show love, but if we miss what I'm going to preach to you about this morning, if we miss what is most important, if we miss the eternal, focusing on the, etern focusing on the temporal, focusing on what's right now, but missing what's eternal. You know, see, we could put clothes on the back of those that need it, but one day they will stand before God naked in their sinfulness and without being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can seek justice for those who need justice, and we can find that for them. But one day, they will stand before the throne of God, and they will be meted out God's justice. We can give all that we want, and we can meet the physical needs, but we can miss what is most important, the spiritual need. Jesus spoke about this when he said, What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? The eternal is what is of greatest value. The eternal is most important. All of our giving, all of our hospitality, all of our justice is empty unless it is pointing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of those things, our expressions of love, are to be simply signposts to the cross. We are to be pointing people to Jesus. An unbeliever can do all of those things, but love does not stop with just meeting the physical needs. It points to those spiritual needs. Sometimes you'll hear people say this, and they're well-meaning. And sometimes when it is quoted, it's, it's attributed to the person who didn't actually say it. Imagine that. You know, the thing today, all you have to do is take a picture of someone and put a quote with it and put it on social media, and everybody thinks that person said it. This, this quote has gotten pretty common of recent times. Preach the gospel... Use words if necessary. And that's wrong. The person they usually attribute it to didn't say it, and it's just not a good thing to say. I know what we mean by that. We mean that the, the sharing of the gospel has got to be the way we live needs to, needs to back up our message of the gospel. 
But the problem with that, the accurate way, the right way to say that would be preach the gospel. It's necessary to use words. It is absolutely necessary. Our godly life, our good deeds are incomplete expressions without the good news of the gospel. Our godly life cannot communicate the incarnation. It cannot communicate Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf. It cannot, simply living right, cannot communicate the, that our faith in Christ is our only hope, that salvation comes through faith in Christ. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 that no one can be in a right relationship with God except there be some verbal communication of the gospel. What did he say? He said, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? They need to hear the message of the gospel. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Let me pause right there and say that sometimes we use the preacher in a very specific way. I'm the preacher. And I'm the pastor. That's, that's what I preach. The preacher is the pastor. It's the same word. But the word preacher here means simply one who proclaims the word. In that sense of the word, every single believer is a preacher of the gospel. And we are to proclaim that word. And it must be more than just our actions. It must be more. Now, our generosity, our hospitality, our justice is all a part of that. And it can be done in a way that communicates the gospel. It communicates, it, it enhances the truth or makes it clearer. It illuminates the truth of the gospel. And it extends it. It opens up the opportunity. But it is not the gospel itself. And so I want to preach to you this morning that love looks like sharing the gospel. I want you to follow with me, if you will. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. I want to pause there. I'm going to just sort of talk through as we go through this. So keep your Bible open, keep your eyes on it, but listen to me carefully. One died for all. Who is the one that died for all? Jesus. Jesus died for for all. It's very clear. We are the all. And he says, we thus judge, because we thus judge, we reason from that, that if one, Christ, died for all, then we're all dead. It's a simple logic. All are dead. Every single person on this, on this earth is dead in their trespasses and sins. You see, the great dividing line is not the divisions that we create. Man-made, man-imposed divisions are nothing when it comes to the message of the gospel. We create divisions based on ethnicity. We create divisions based on po politics. We create divisions based on economic standing or ideology. But the only division line when it comes to the gospel is there are those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, and there are those who have been made alive by Jesus Christ. That's the only dividing line. And he says that all were dead. Even those who are now alive were once dead. For the love of Christ, he says, constrain us. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for how many? I want to pause just a minute. I'm going to say this lovingly. But there are those who will tell you that Christ only died for a select few. 
That verse says he died for how many? All. Then we're, if one, he died for all, that they which live, I'm going to help you, y'all going to help me through this. They which live. Who are those, if all were dead, but there are they which live, who are those that live? Those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. You who were dead in your trespasses and sin, yet God has quickened us, Ephesians chapter 2. He has made us alive. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're no longer spiritually dead. You have been brought, the Bible says, from death unto life. So then, they which are alive should not henceforth, from now on, now that you're alive, they should not live unto themselves. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. You don't get to live for you anymore. I don't get to live for me. From now on, now that you're alive, you don't live to yourself. Who do we live to? But unto him which died for them and rose again. We don't live to ourselves. We live for Christ. Let me ask you this morning. Is your life lived for Christ or for yourself? I'm not saying do you come to church. I'm not saying, do you do some religious things? I'm not saying, do you put money in the offering plate? I'm not saying, do you do some good deeds? I'm saying, if you were to evaluate your entire life, is it lived for you or is it lived for Christ? He says, Paul says here, that Christ died for all. That's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It comes around us and moves us to what we are to do. How is his love demonstrated? That he died for us, that he brought us to life. And so therefore, because of the love of Christ, we are to live for him, not for ourselves. Here's a way that you can test that. I like the example of a wagon wheel, the old wagon wheel with the rim around it, the spokes and the hub in the center. Many people have Christ as a spoke in their life. They have a part of their life is their Christianity, their walk with Christ, their life for Christ. They live for him. They go to church. They give him a part of their time. They give him a part of their income. They show some love. They, they give him a part. But he's one spoke among many, and in the center is themselves. And they think that they're okay because they've given God a part of their life. But that is not what God calls us to. That is not discipleship. Following Christ is not Christ being a spoke in the wheel. It is him being the hub of all the other spokes. Our family, our job, our work, our school, our hobbies, all of those things. You see, God doesn't want first place in your life. He wants all the places in your life. And so Paul says, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for for Christ. The love of Christ compels us. I want to go back to that word constrains, and it's the word compel. It's the idea of coming around someone and moving them in a direction. Several years ago, our family was um, privileged to visit London, England, and we were, during each day, we would ride the subways into town. And let me tell you, if you've never ridden a subway in a city, you get up close and personal with some strange people. I mean, like, right there in your face. 
and you're standing there and you're just like, oh, please don't bump into me. Please don't knock me back into the person behind me. I mean, there's, there's people around every angle of you that can be people, except maybe over your head, and I'm surprised they weren't up there too. And when they start moving, if they decide to move further in, you know where you're going? You're going further in. You may not want to go, but you are compelled because they have surrounded you. They have constrained you. Now, and that's in a negative way, but in a positive way, the love of Christ constrains us. It has wrapped itself around us, and it moves us in the direction that we are to go. And what is that direction? It is the direction of living for Him, no longer for ourselves. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How do we, how do we live for Christ? Well, we live as a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That's how the love of Christ compels us. It compels us to live in a different way. It compels us to live as new creatures. How are we new creatures? Because we've been made alive. We were dead. Now we are alive. He says in verse 18, All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see what else he does here. He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. No, keep that phrase in your mind, the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, what is this reconciliation? What is this ministry? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. When he goes back up there and he says, he died for all, that was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself by his death on the cross. Aren't you glad for the day that God reconciled you to himself? We were the enemies of God, but God has brought us back into fellowship and into family with him. I am glad it's not just a, a chorus and a song. I'm so glad that I am a part of the family of God. Not just because there's wonderful brothers and sisters, because some of them are not so wonderful as others are. Because I have been brought into relationship with God. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but has committed unto us, here's the second thing, the phrase I want you to notice, the word of reconciliation. We've not just been given the ministry. What is the ministry? It's sharing the word of reconciliation, that just like I was spiritually dead, you're spiritually dead. And just like I have been made alive, you can be made alive. And just like I was apart from God, but now have been reconciled, you are apart from God, and you can be reconciled to God. What a wonderful message and privilege that we have to proclaim that, to say that. That's how we live, not to ourselves, but unto him that died for us. There's the message and the word of reconciliation. So now, here's our commission by Christ. He gives us the word of reconciliation so that we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? It's someone who represents somebody else. We have ambassadors from our country who go to other countries, and they speak on behalf of our leaders. They speak on behalf of our nation, and they are to represent us well. They are sent with the authority to speak, and when they speak, it's like our nation speaking. So if we are ambassadors for God, 
He has sent us part of living not for ourselves, but living for him is being that ambassador so that when we share the word of reconciliation, when we share the message of reconciliation, we are speaking on behalf of God. Listen up. God wants you to hear this. God wants you to be reconciled to him. This is what God, this is a message from God. Most of the time today when people say, well, God told me to do this, or God, we have, I mean, you know, get the people with the, with the straitjacket and the padded cell. There's something a little odd about this person. No, this is as sane as it gets. This is as sure as it gets. It is a message from God. We are ambassadors from him. So then that he says, we beseech you as though God did beseech you by us. God is using us to say this to you. God has committed to us this word. He's committed to us this message of reconciliation. What is this message? It is that if you follow this passage, all were dead. All have sinned. But Christ died for all. And we live because he died. That's the message of reconciliation that we are to proclaim. And it's God speaking through us to say to this world, I died for you. I want you to be restored to me. And he says, now then we're ambassadors. God did to beseech you by us. Look at this. We pray you. We're asking you fervently in Christ's place. If Christ were standing here right now in front of you, this is what he would say. I'm here on his behalf. He's in heaven. I'm on earth. I'm here to speak this word of reconciliation to you. This message of hope. Be reconciled to God. It's an unconditional invitation. Be reconciled to God. How can I be reconciled to God? God has already done everything that is necessary for me to be reconciled. I simply place my faith and trust in him. Faith toward God, repentance toward, of sin, and faith toward God in Jesus Christ. That's the message of reconciliation. We've experienced it ourselves. We get the privilege, the love of Christ. You want to know what love looks like? Love looks like caring enough not to keep our mouths shut. Love looks like not staying silent. Love looks like making sacrifices on our part. Love looks like doing what no one else is willing to do. I mean, there's a great story as um, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, founded the China Inland Mission. He was recruiting missionaries to go with him to China, and he was interviewing some of them, and a man by the name of George Scott, a Scottish school teacher, came, and he sat down, and as he came into the room, Hudson Taylor noticed that he only had one leg. And as he asked him questions and he interviewed him, he said, what is it that makes you with only one leg and all the challenges that will come in this time of traveling my ship and all the things you'll go through, why do you come to be a missionary? And he said, because I don't see many people with two legs that are going. What is it that makes us, what is it that moves us? What is it that drives us? What is it that causes us to stand and say, I'm not going to be silent about the gospel anymore. What is it that says, I'm going to speak the message of reconciliation to my loved one, the friend that I have, my neighbor, that person that I'm burdened about, that person that I'm concerned about. What is it? It is Christ's love that compels us to say something. We cannot be silent. 
Every believer has this commission. If you have been made alive by Jesus Christ, you are to live for Him, not yourself. And living for Him means being a new creature and being an ambassador, being one who speaks on His behalf. Because Christ loves every person in this world and He wants them to be restored to Him, He has sent us to share the good news of the gospel with all of them. It might be in the nations, it might be across the street. There used to be an old gospel song that speaks about in the shadow of the steeple. And there's times where we get focused on the nations and we ignore the people that are just across the street. And there's times when we get so focused on those that are close to us that we ignore the nations. And then there's those that just ignore both. We, the love of Christ, does not allow us that option. Love doesn't allow us to be silent. There's a man by the name, of some of you will recognize this name, Penn Gillette. Um, some of you have seen maybe Penn and Teller. They are illusionists. They perform in, in Las Vegas, various places around the country. You've seen them on TV. Um, Penn's a very tall, large man, and Teller's a little shorter, never says anything. Interesting characteristic for a man whose name is Teller. He doesn't tell, her, he doesn't tell anything. He's, he's very quiet and very silent, but Penn's very vocal. He's also an atheist, a professing atheist. And he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe he thinks religion has done some bad things. And he's not wrong. Religion has done some bad things. But he doesn't believe in God. Some years ago, he shared uh, in a video about a man who came to one of his performances. They, Penn and Teller, were performing. And he had come the night before and been a part of one of the audience participation things in the, in the program. And he came back the next night and Penn said he saw him standing over to the side. And so he went over and he was, as he was speaking to some of the crowd afterwards, he, he went and spoke to him. And he said he shook his hand and he thanked him for the show and he said some very nice things. He said it was a very nice man. But as part of the conversation, he said, I brought something that I want to give you. And he reached out and put in his hand a small Gideon New Testament and Psalms. And he said, I want to ask you to read this. I want you to think about this in the message of the gospel. And he put it in his hand, and he went away. I want you to hear in Penn's words, this is not a pastor, this is not a Christian, but this is powerful truth. A real, if you want to call it, it's a sermon from an atheist, and it's one of the most powerful things you will hear on the importance of sharing the gospel. He uses the word proselytizing, and sometimes that has a negative connotation, but just think of it as an unbeliever's way of trying to express sharing the gospel. Well, let's watch this video, if you will. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate someone to not share the gospel? I would turn that around and say it's really not about whether we hate them or not. How much 
does the love of Christ compel us to share the message of Jesus Christ? So in all of our seeking justice, in all of our doing good, in all of our hospitality, in all of our generosity, it must be anchored in sharing the message of the gospel. Who do you know that needs to hear the gospel? Who, do, who in your family, who in your community, who at your job, who at your school, who needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ? Love will not allow us to remain silent. The love of Christ compels us. We have to say, I will love. I will no longer be silent. I know those who need to hear the gospel, and I will be a messenger for Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. In just a moment, we'll have an invitation like we normally do, and I want to give you the opportunity to respond as God is speaking to you. But here's what I ask you to do. Right where you're sitting, I'm going to have a prayer in just a moment. If you would say this morning, Pastor, love's not going to let me stay silent. I want to, I'm, I want to commit myself right now to being a messenger of reconciliation, a messenger of the gospel. Maybe God's already put somebody in your heart. Maybe you see the face just as soon as this was, this was talked about. But Pastor, I want you to pray for me because right now, I commit myself to not being silent about the gospel. I commit myself to loving enough to sharing the gospel. Would you just slip up your hand? Don't slip it up if you don't mean it, but put up your hand. Thank you for that. Hands all across, all around the auditorium. Thank you for that. Just slip them up and put them back down. Any others? Thank you for that. Father, you've seen these hands. Lord, I pray that they didn't raise it if they didn't mean it. But I pray that you will give them the grace and the courage. Give us all, Lord. None of us. This commission is for all. Every single believer that has been, if, you've, if we've been made alive, we are to share with those who are still spiritually dead the message, the word of reconciliation. Father, give us opportunities. Help us to seize them. Help us to see them and then take them. And Father, may we show your love to this world. May we go, may we share, may we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. May this world know that we love them enough to stand between them and the gates of hell. Father, use your people. May souls be saved as a result. Above all, may Christ be glorified. 